This is the book report. I was like, well, we're going to stay Saturday and Sunday night. Um, I was like, well, I'm going to stay Friday and Saturday night because it's work. And then I was like, oh, wait, there is no work. Whoops. Sure. But so we explored this whole crazy, we had a whole Airbnb debacle with the person canceled on us like last minute. Uh, okay. And we had to scramble to find a house big enough for like nine people again. It's a whole mess. But Airbnb did a good job and gave us, you know, a discount and all this stuff. Cool. Uh, and helped us find a place. So the place we were staying at ended up being way more expensive and was crazy nice. And despite exploring the whole thing, until everybody else got there the next night, we did not realize that the master bedroom had an entirely mirrored ceiling. Oh, no. <laughs> we had taken a different room, but like that was the first thing uh, one of my friends noticed when they got there. She was like, um, guys. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> So there might be a picture that will probably be on my Instagram at some point of all of us laying on the bed like a adult sitcom uh, promotional image. Oh <laughs> boy! In a you are scene. you are brave to actually lie down in that bed. <laughs> That's you what... know they like to get freaky. <laughs> like five minutes later, we all we're all off the bed. We go back downstairs, and um, one of my friends was like. Um, I'm glad none of us thought about what might have been on that bed cover before we laid down. To yeah, you should have used a black light. <laughs> burned all your clothes. No, gross and horrible. Well, yeah, it was a yeah. Horrible. Other than that, uh, it was a re- well. Other than that, and some badly handled alcohol by one of our guests at <laughs> the last uh, day. Nice. It was a really fun weekend. What'd yeah. you do for Labor Day weekend? Yeah, so like I said, I'm I'm a little sick right now. Uh, so I spent all of Labor Day weekend uh, lying in bed and watching The Office for the first time. Well, the second part of that sounds fun, at least. <laughs> no, the second part was good. I um, have finally started getting into pop culture that's only like nine years deceased. So We kind of do that, though. We watched Lost like a decade late. Yeah, together. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we watched Avatar at least five at or least six years. At least five or six years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll, I'll, we'll I'll probably start reading. I'll probably start reading Harry Potter next year. <laughs> yeah. I told, I told my wife that I want to marathon through Harry Potter uh, this October because I've never seen them all. So. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a good October. Kinda, kinda I feel behind. like. ABC Family or whatever it's called now usually does that around. They Christmas do. For some they reason. do. My dad actually watched them, which is weird because he was the person who told me I wasn't allowed to when I was a kid. But you know, oh, yeah, they the were super changes. evil growing up as a kid. Yeah, they were some good <laughs> good intentions, poor execution. Which that's an amazing segue because the books I'm going to talk about today were also super evil growing up as a kid, but only ah. after the fact, like. It was added into the evil books when Harry Potter came out, you know? Okay. I feel like that was a that was a thing in the evangelical movement is that when something came out that they wanted to, you know, get in the news for saying is evil, sure. they'd also like look back and be like, All right, what else can we pile into this category of why it's bad? And then they'd collect all these things that previously weren't bad and suddenly are. And <laughs> it was just like every now and then stuff like that would happen and you'd suddenly have I don't know. Well, Weird and, segue. And for the no, it's fine. I mean, for the people listening who don't know exactly what's going on, uh, the evangelical Christian movement in the '90s and mid 2000s was very, very against very specific 
pop cultural things. Um, so for example, my household just banned all of them. I wasn't allowed to listen to any music that wasn't by a Christian author or Christian mm -hmm. artist. Um, I couldn't play Pokemon or watch Pokemon, couldn't read mm -hmm. Harry Potter. So just kind of those types of things. And I, I still to this day believe that my parents had like, from their understanding, they had good intentions, but the result of them not allowing me to read Harry Potter was that instead of reading about little elementary school witches and wizards going around saving the world, I instead started reading John Grisham novels and learning about cocaine and hookers. Exactly. So it's, it kind of backfired. Yeah. And I feel like my mom or my parents were always doing the thing was like, we're going to take it on a case by case basis. We're not going to you know, let anybody else tell us what's wrong for our children. But the end result being that anything that some big wig in the church or evangelical movement said was bad they of course banned as well so it was just like yeah okay yeah sure take it by case by case basis yeah it was just a weird it was like after effects of the satanic panic it was very strange <laughs> yeah <clears throat> all right so you said that was i was going segue. to i was going to do a book uh that i will do eventually but on researching it and starting to write my notes, I realized that I need to reread the book. I can't do it justice without rereading it since I've only read it once in high school. Okay. So instead, I wanted to stick with YA, and I felt like I had to do these sooner or later. So I'm breaking all the rules, and I know it's the fourth, fifth week in, and I'm already breaking all the rules. But I'm not doing one book. I'm doing three. Um, uh, for the readers who don't know what's going on, it's called a trilogy. No, actually, <laughs> not even close to a trilogy. I'm doing a full series of books, but I'm doing three of them so that I can actually have a coherent conversation about it because okay. the book series is 50 plus books long. Okay, so I will be doing uh, The Animorphs by K.A. Applegate, specifically books 49, 50, and 51, The Diversion, The Ultimate, and The Absolute, ghostwritten by Lisa Harkrader and Kimberly Morris. So I'm unfamiliar with the series. Does that mean that you're starting 41 books into the series? 49. 49 and, yes. books into... Okay, cool. All right. That's <laughs> exciting. Okay, so my book, uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, starts with the first book in the series. Uh, and it's called... <laughs> Amateur. The, yeah, I know. It's <laughs> The Emperor's Blades by Brian Staveley. Color me intrigued. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good book. Well, um, it's like I can go books. first since the overarching series starts with an A, even though technically the first book I'm talking about starts with a D. But since I'm already breaking enough rules, I guess I will, aye, aye, aye. I will go first. Okay. Okay. So everyone under the age, uh, everyone probably from the age of 25 to 40 listening right now, so, you know, millennials, uh, have definitely at least seen and probably at least read one of these books. These are the books that you remember from book fairs and your elementary and middle school library that had a person turning into an animal on the cover. Um, and your nerdier friends would have showed them to you that there was always a flip book at the bottom of the book inside of a person turning into an animal. So I have actually uh, never read any of these books or heard of any of these books. What? I know. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm like more excited and more stressed out about this. <laughs> so these are the reason I, I just had to do these eventually. These are a like a seminal 
like moment in my life. This is was these are these encompassed in this series is all the reasons I like to read. It's obviously written for a younger audience. There's 50 plus books just in the main series, and there's like 60 something books with little spinoffs and like uh, there's a couple choose your own adventures and alternamorphs that don't really happen in the timeline and stuff like that. So there's just so much of it, and I devoured all of it as a kid. Um, uh, the reason I chose these three, actually, no, let's get into basic backstory real fast. Um, aliens have started to invade Earth by taking over people's minds. They're, they're little bitty aliens that like crawl inside your head and take over your mind. Um, okay. A group of six kids um, have been given shape-shifting powers. Um, as a last ditch effort to try to impede them until the good guy aliens can come show up to earth and fight off the invasion. And that's your, basically your entire, that that's the entire series is this group of six kids being the earth's only line of defense in a secret war. So is each book pretty formulaic for a while? Okay. So, uh, these, it, okay, so each of these books is fairly formulaic, at least, but mm -hmm. um, as in, you know, a couple main story beats are going to happen in each book. They are going to find a way they can fight the bad guys, like find a, a weakness of them, be it, uh, oh, we know they're going to be here, this is one of their secret hideouts, or oh, we can expose this person, something like that. Uh, they're going to acquire a new animal morph to figure out how to that will better help them complete this mission. Something is going to go wrong. Uh, and then they're going to have to fight their way out of something. And that's okay. the, those basic things happen in almost every book, but the books are ghostwritten by so many different people that, um, over the, over the course of reading them all, you can start feeling, you know, the feel of different books. This book's kind of like a, any serialized TV show or, um, movie series or something where this is going to like Star Trek. This is going to be more of an exploratory episode. This is going to be more of a battle heavy episode. You can tell that early on in all of them, but sprinkled throughout all of the first 48 books, are massive plot points that just get ingrained into you that you don't realize have happened. And on the diversion book 49, mm -hmm. uh, it's, and then through 1551, this is the shift. This is the, second to third act shift for the full series. It's when there's this culmination of all the lore coming across. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's a masterclass in how to take years of something and turn it on its head without losing anything. And that's what like so many TV shows can't end correctly. So many long book series can't wrap themselves up right. And this one does it so so well okay so uh the basic plots of these three books are in the diversion the bad guys discover that our heroes are human up until this point they've thought they were the good guy aliens just as like a splinter group and a tiny little gorilla group fighting them mm -hmm. um they discover that they're actually human and they find their families so all the characters have to go and warn their favors and fa families and finally reveal themselves to their families so one of the main characters, Tobias, who already has the most depressing storyline, basically, 
he um his dad his uncle lived with his uncle he's abusive he became a runaway and got stuck in the body of a red-tailed hawk for most of the series Hmm. um so he goes and finds but of course the bad guys don't know any of this they just know they found their dna and traced it back to their families so he has to go find his mom who abandoned him as a child and while well, all the kids go and find their families to get them out of harm's way and he finds out his mom has been living basically around the corner his whole life and never uh just never came to see him which so mm-hmm. it's a really dark depressing story wrapped up in this oh my gosh our you know we had to keep ourselves secret moment is over. So the end of that book, um, most of the families are evacuated except for one character's family who is captured and turned into bad guys. Um, Book 50, the ultimate, uh, because now their secret is out. Now there's no more reason to hide. They expand their ranks. After 50 books, they use the technology that the, uh, Andalites, that's the good guy aliens, gave them and make more soldiers who can shapeshift. Uh, mm-hmm. So they have a small army now. The They use this army to uh, attack a major facility and in the process lose the technology that lets them shapeshift. So, I mean, they still have that power, but now the bad guys can use that power as well. But in this moment, the enemy resistance, which is a a like deep dive cut from maybe twenty books before, where they had instead of outright fighting the bad guys, they had turned a couple of the bad guys like to their side. They basically captured them, and uh, there was a whole back and forth. And why are you really doing this? Moment, and it hasn't been mentioned for a long time. And in this book, it's revealed the resistance is still active, and. So now the bad guys is fighting a war on two fronts. Mm-hmm. Book 51, this is officially the start of the finale, the five or six book finale. Okay. Um, it's called The Absolute. Uh, it's where the countdown starts, as they call it. Um, in this one, warfare, by the end of it, warfare is in the open. The human Earth government finally knows about this. They're involved, but the bad guys have the superpower that has given the Animorphs the advantage the whole time. Mm-hmm. So in the course of three books, every like solid fact, every thing you go into knowing that these kids are in secret, they're still living with their families, they're still going through the motions. In the meantime, they're fighting this war that nobody knows about. Every single one of those basic building block facts of this series gets flipped and you just have to deal with it as it goes on. And it's just so well done for a kid's book. Um. Yeah, so this was, it's the first book series I've ever read that set up an idea and let it play out. It did. Okay. It never, never, you know that Futurama episode at the end of the, where Fry's like, nobody wants that from a story. They want everything to go back to normal by the end of it. Right. This doesn't right. do that. It, okay. It, and it gives you that false sense of security for the first several books where everything kind of reverts closer to the status quo for a while. The changes are slow. And then suddenly massive shifting and changes that you didn't realize have been building for again 40 books yeah so is this one of the series um like a lot of authors who write uh children's fantasy especially they'll 
kind of allow the the books to grow up with their audience. So they'll start out their books geared towards like, you know, 13 year olds. And then by the time you're done with the series, it's more adult in nature. Is this one of those types of series or does it exclusively kind of focus on the the young adult sector for most of its tenure? It it stays young adult. Um, it does grow, but mm-hmm. the growth is um, it's more in the in the style of writing than it is the actual like the thematic elements. Because from the earliest books, you're dealing with some really dark thematic stuff okay. that kids actually have to deal with, and they're just placing it in this you know science fiction into the world. Uh, venue but putting difficult concepts in there so but yeah there are there are like three things that i absolutely love to read and write and watch it's stories that deal with stories that deal with things they they deal with ramifications of stuff they set up uh, they explore the impact on the world ensemble casts whether it's like an odd accidental collection of friends or enemies but they have to work together and stories with extremely deep lore that is there if you want to go search for it, but is not a hindrance and is not shoved in your face. Okay. And this, because of this book series is why I love those three things. Like there is, I could talk for three hours on a podcast just about random Animorphs lore. <laughs> um, I could, I can give you and will give you a brief description of all the characters and could probably fill just as much volume on all six of these main characters. And they're little kids characters, like they're teenagers. Right. Right. And they're just so deep. And yeah, let me do that before I get into why you would like it and why you want to like it. So right. these characters are all archetypes, but re- like they're, there's layered to them. I mean, you have 50 books to work with. You might, you better get them layered. Hmm. I uh, hope so. So Jake is the, is the fearless leader. He's, he's a very, very headstrong and he acts like jock, like overconfident. And it's because he is he understands the ramifications of everything. He knows he's way, way over his head. He knows that his friends' lives depends on him, and in a very real sense, the rest of the world does too. And he can't quite deal with that, so he acts all bravado and sure. tries to be the strong man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cassie is his like love interest. She's the compassionate, brainy, heart of gold type character, okay. but she's also like extremely conflicted because she is a little bit hippie, very compassionate, doesn't want to hurt anyone and is easily the smartest one in the group. Uh, Like she is. And that, that is complicated later, but she never takes the lead. She's Velma from Scooby-Doo. Okay. But way more confident. She's, she's one of my favorite characters in the story. Uh, Marco, he is the class clown, the cut up guy, uh, looks like an idiot most of the time and that's because he's masking the very deep down hurt of a broken home and a suicidal parent like his mother killed himself before the series started uh and this is revealed to you really early on and that's why he's the class clown cut up uh and then there's rachel she is the pretty girl but also like she's like the diva pretty girl always in a mall shopping but she's also like a star athlete so she's like both a very girly girl and the toughest one in the group, the biggest tomboy. Yet at the same time, she's worried about fashion and her nails and stuff. And it's just an interesting take on the what would normally be the femme fatale, the got to save her every other week character in a kid's story is the toughest one in the group, which is always fun. Tobias, who I already always mentioned, he was a loner kid from an abusive home uh, that got stuck in his morph early on 
And so he can't really, whereas he was a loner just becoming friends when this all started, uh, now he's literally stuck in the body of a hawk his whole life and can't interact with people anymore. So he's huh. often your outside looking in character. Yeah. And then Axe. Axe is an alien. He is one of the good guy aliens that, that are supposed to come save them that crash landed. Um, so he's the new kid, and it's great because they make him the audience stand-in, even though he is a centaur-like alien from billions of miles away. And he's like he's also a legacy soldier. Uh, he's the last survivor, so he's got a really big chip on his shoulder with everything to prove, even though he's also just a teenager that has no idea what to do on this planet by himself. Okay. Uh, so these... I keep saying six, but it's actually seven characters, isn't it? No, it's six. I can count. Um, so these six characters make up the entire war effort on behalf of the humans because the invasion is secret. The reason I think you would like this, the reason I think everyone should at least give this a chance is because this is binge reading. They're so short. Each book, if you read like me or you, you could finish it in a couple hours. It's not. They're not long. They're not written difficult. They're, they're made how, for How many pages order. would you say each one is? I have no idea. I would have to look it up. <laughs> like uh, under 200? I, I'm a little bit, probably like three, 400. Three, 400. Okay. Uh, so they're a little stiff. They're, they're substantial at least. They're not like little, little paperbacks. Right, right. But okay. they're written, they're written in very easy language. So it's, yeah, not they're, like ri- it's they're written for young adults. So you just flip yeah. page after page. Mm-hmm. You can read through them so fast. Um, Absolutely. When I reread the, reread the series, the full series a couple years ago, I was reading two a night. Um, okay. So it's not, they're not hard reads. And so often when we're reading something, we're reading one book for a month at a time because it's a slog. These mm. are, this is like pure binge television. Like you're watching The Office for the first time, little 30 minute segments to entertain you, but you don't have to pay that much attention to. And that's how these work. They're okay. short novels, start out formulaic, predictable, grow up a little bit with the audience. You could probably read the whole series in a few, in like two or three weeks. But the okay. characters, the characters are these extremely multidimensional, very realized characters that you, at first glance, would like just think, oh, look at this terrible kid's book with their gimmick of the week. But it's all about these people growing up in the most insane possible situations. Uh, I wrote my little final hook as this is an episodic spy version of Red Dawn with superpowers starring the Breakfast Club cast all with mm-hmm. a sci-fi umbrella. Like this okay. is it's it's also weaponized nostalgia for me. Someone makes a Animorphs reference like I don't even know what I'd do. I'd lose it. But it's just such a clever way to tell these difficult stories of like kids figuring out how to deal with divorce and figuring out how to deal with first loves and uh, like also contemplate these giant complex problems of everything from my dad might be unemployed now and also um, do we kill this person because if the bad guys get a hold of them we've already lost or do we like, like can we do a preemptive strike is that ever justified and those are the same, like they're having both those arguments in their heads at the same time. And hmm. it's amazing. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm out of breath now. <laughs> it's 
It's a sign of a good hook. <laughs> Leaves you breathless. Yes, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so that that was yeah, the diversion, the ultimate, and the absolute. Okay. And I want to I want to shout cool. like, hey Applegate, I think I think this book series kind of made her like lose it a little bit, as all good things do. Okay. Because the next thing she wrote just paled massively in comparison and was just loony and out there. I've read some okay. of her other stuff that I liked, but the end of this book and pouring, I don't even know how many years into this and 60 something books, like ending it, I think made her go a little loopy. <laughs> well, who's, who is it that says that, um, like all great artists or authors only really have one good idea and everything they do after that is just a variation on a theme. Something along those lines. But I agree but with that I, statement. Whole yeah, I would yeah. probably ascribe to that. And I think that's why a lot of, um, especially when you're talking about like sci-fi or fantasy, a lot of authors really just tend to keep expanding their universe. They don't necessarily write something different. They just write something else happening in the same type of place over and over right. and over again. Or you get the um, the James Pattersons who writes the same book 500 times or Stephen King who you know, just likes to scare people. So I, you know, I think there's some truth to that. And I think if you try to go too far outside of what you're good at, you're probably not going to do as well. Yeah. I mean, even, even Asimov eventually had to connect all of his works because they were all set in the same universe. Like he just, right. Yeah. Right. And I think like Sanderson is doing his Cosmere and Mm -hmm. it's, it's just a common thing authors do. I don't know. Do you have any questions? I know this is a unique, version of this podcast since i'm choosing three books and kind of giving an overview of the full so since you since you've chosen um some books later in the series would you recommend that i read books before that if i want to get into it or should i just start with the three that you're recommending um i would recommend most people you need to read the first couple books um at least and then up until again about book 49 you can probably just jump around and read so it's not really a series on. that I have to read in order to get a cohesive storyline. It is because again, everything that's that's littered for you to pick up on way later on, those are all introduced um, carefully, and everything builds on itself in a way I didn't realize it reading growing up. But oh, obviously, okay. they're published for knowing that kids are going to not be able to read them in order unless your library has all sixty books. Like you're going to read the ones when you pick up when you see them. So for the most part, the middle section can be jumbled around. You don't necessarily Mm -hmm. have to read them in order. They usually do a pretty good job of, of. But uh, as long as I read the first couple and then the last ones you're recommending, I'll, I'll be all right. And don't, whatever you do, don't, don't read anything past 50 until you've read a huge bulk of the earlier ones. Okay. Because, uh, one thing they do is they switch character perspective each book. So every book is narrated by one of those six people I just read. Um, and they're obviously, and most of the time they're the main focus of the book, but sometimes like if it'll give Cassie her own book and have Jake be the focus because mm. they're dating so she can talk mm-hmm. about him. Um, but other times it's usually like you get a glimpse into their home life that you don't normally see because you're, you're you know looking at somebody else's point of view. And so they jump around enough and usually one of them will give you a, like, they'll give you a recap, like since the last time you spoke kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can usually catch up. 
uh, at the end, the last seven or eight books, they stop even caring about that because they just assume you know it at this point. And they'll give you, like, all the books start out with in the first couple pages, the briefest, uh, this is what happened, this is why we have these powers, this is who we're fighting, but I can't really dwell on that. And that section gets so much shorter by the last few books because, like, it's over now. Like, these things are coming to a head, they have to deal with it. So, at least read several before you get to that. Okay. But if you wanted to start with, I picked these three because you won't get as much out of it, but if you wanted to start with the diversion and read the last eight books together, you would uh, get a good grasp of the series as a whole. Okay. And the diver- because the, the time that everything shifts technically is in the absolute book 51. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit when we get to the dust jacket at the end of the podcast, but every book has its own dust jacket that's a little different that has its own paragraph of what's going on it, but they all start the exact same way until the absolute when it changes. Uh, and they, yeah. So that's the countdown. That's the shift of everything's going to be different now, even though it had okay. started two books earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So tell me about a different form of magical world. <laughs> there we go. My turn. Been waiting. All right. So the, <laughs> yeah, the the Emperor's Blades uh, is called the Emperor's Blades because it tracks the three children of the Emperor of the Empire, obviously. Um, so the book essentially starts off um, being fueled by the Emperor's assassination. No one knows who did it. No one knows why they did it. We just know that the Emperor is dead. Um, but it doesn't necessarily change much in the Empire. So the Emperor died, but it's pretty much business as usual. So no one's really even sure what the motive of killing the emperor was. Um, And the only reason why anyone starts to suspect that there's any foul play is that there are a couple of unsuccessful assassination attempts against his children, but they, they for the most part go unnoticed. So these three children, um, they're all in their late teens. They're basically adults. They're all around 18 years old. Um, And one of them, I think is probably one of the more interesting protagonists in a book because he's not a, um, a person who's learned how to use a sword. He's not necessarily a fighter of any type. He has been sent to the mountains to learn how to be a monk. Um, kind of like the, the Buddhist Tibetan monks kind of thing. Okay. So he's just sitting there in most of his chapters, trying to learn how to, basically embrace what's called the vaniate, which you can kind of think is like total emptiness and become um, almost like reach nirvana kind of. Uh, And it's it's written in a really interesting way. And it's tied in later on in the books to really tell you why that's an important thing that he learns to do. Um, But the author does a really good job of writing it in such a way that you're kind of left thinking, okay, there's probably a reason why this is important, but is it? Which is the same thing that the character is thinking. So you kind of get that sense of why am I reading this at the same time that the character is going, why am I doing this? Um, then then you have the other character who is his brother. Um, and his brother is basically being trained to be a... Um, I don't know, like a green beret or a Navy seal or something like that. He's trained in black ops. Um, 
So he is uh, part of this elite force. They train on an island. All of their trials and tribulations are just ridiculously um, overstressful. But as a reward, at the end of it, they get these. Um, they get to, well, not as a, not at the end of it. Um, the the black ops groups are called Ketrel because they are given these birds that are basically dragon sized birds, which are the only real. Um, fantastical beasts in this universe that serve as the aerial force of the black ops, which are kind of cool. They're, they're an interesting addition to the book. Uh, and then the, are always fun. well, it's not a dragon though. It's a bird. It's a bird, which I <laughs> like because most fantasies like, all right, where can I throw a dragon in here just so everyone loses their minds? But this you can book always put a dragon in authors. Yeah, I, I disagree. <laughs> I, I get a little bit annoyed with it. I, uh, unpopular opinion one of my least favorite parts of the game of thrones universe was throwing dragons into the mix um Hmm. because well part of the reason is because so much of the game of thrones books um really felt like history in our world to the point where i started getting confused and thinking um that the lannisters had actually lived in france and the starks had (laughs) lived in northern england and it, it really messed with my head for a while but when you threw the dragons in it it kind of tore me out and I was like, ah, I don't like this as much. Well, you should, you should be thankful for the dragons then. Cause they brought you, they may, let you separate fiction and reality. Yeah, that's right. They, they, uh, got me out of the matrix. Um, <laughs> but no, dragons, I, I'm, the new I'm not, I'm not always a huge, always a huge dragon fan. Um, so these Ketrel are, they're interesting. Uh, then you have the third character who doesn't show up a lot in the first book. Um, but she does become, more integral to the plot the later on you go. Uh, but she is basically assumed the role of being emperor in her father's stead, even though she was not next in line. Um, she's trying to contact her brother, but he's busy being a monk and is really hard to contact. Um, because normally what would happen is that the emperor would just go through, um, I forget what they're called, but they're um kind of like wormholes in the world that only the emperor can use uh but he's dead and no one else knows how to use them so this entire story is set in the backdrop of or is set in a world that has a backdrop of this ancient force that tried to overthrow the world several times um and then another group of people who were able to use a type of elemental magic but they are kind of ostracized out of society because there was a war several hundred years ago where they almost overthrew the war, the world as well. So you have all of these magical and interesting beings that are completely sidelined in the books because everyone is just terrified of them. And so you don't get a lot with them, but you can also sense that something's happening under the surface of the main storyline and under the main plot that's starting to bring these, these people and these characters back into the forefront of society so all of that um and i don't know that i explained it that well because there's a there's honestly a lot going on in this book um it's pretty complicated it's it's pretty complex because it's told from three different story lines um none of which interconnect in the first book um so you're basically reading i guess we're both doing three books today you're basically (laughs) reading three books in one Um, that never, no one ever crosses paths with each other and they are completely Uh, in the dark about what's happening to the other people. Um, They're not even sure if the others are alive, but 
one of the things I love about this book so much is that this author um, writes his villains incredibly well. Um, they're not necessarily some of them. Some of them are ultra powerful and are able to use just excessive force in all of their situations um, with no prejudice whatsoever. So you have like a, a person you can just hate in the books, which is always nice because um, okay, yeah. you're just waiting for them to get what's coming to them. But then you also have these um, these other characters who are maybe bad, but we're not sure because the um, the author... <sighs> He he gives an untrustworthy narrative to each of his villains, which he doesn't give to his protagonists. So the protagonists, you you know where they stand, you know what they're doing. Um, they're pretty honest in their self narrative, but the villains are not. The villains are um, very duplicitous, but not consistently so. So you're not always sure if they're telling the truth or if they're lying. And they're always vying against each other. And anytime a protagonist goes to a villain and says, hey, what are you doing this for? The villain will give a straight answer every single time, which I think is interesting. There's no mincing of words. There's no skirting around trying to obfuscate whatever's happening. They say, ex they're like, yeah, I killed your dad. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've never... Like there's a point in the book where one of the bad guys literally admits to killing the emperor to one of the protagonists and then gives such an excellent explanation for why they did it that you're suddenly rooting for them. I was about to say, it sounds like you uh, the book is setting, yourself, setting itself up to be a, a shift where the bad guys are actually the good guys. You're just looking at things wrong. But the thing is, uh, this book then, a couple chapters later, will provide you with another villain giving an alternate explanation that causes you to shift again. And so you are completely in the dark about who is the actual villain the entire time you get into the series. And it just swings you back and forth between thinking, oh, this guy's the bad guy. No, wait, he's actually helping them. So maybe it's the other bad guy. But no, wait, he and it's really interesting because you don't get a lot of books that has two essentially bad guys that are pulling the plot back and forth between them. Um, it's It was just a really interesting thing for the author to do. And I don't know that I've seen it before or if I have, it didn't strike me the way that this did. Yeah, it sounds like it would stress me out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it has the potential to it leaves you it leaves you questioning reality for sure. Well, I, that's not a bad thing. I love some books to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I would say that that is my hook. The The villain structure for the book would be the reason I think anyone, especially you, should read it. I think it's why you would enjoy it. Um, the setting but is a little... Don't, yeah, go ahead. I was just, they don't ever... Those stories don't cross over until the next book? Um, I'm not sure they cross over until the third or fourth book. Oh. Yeah, that would really stress. That would that would anger me. I mean, it would force me to keep reading, but it would very much anger me. I I think it's kind of the um more polished version of uh did you ever read any of the Tarzan books by Edgar Rice Burroughs? I've read at least one. So he would Those always the do old that old Tarzan books. Yeah, yeah, the really old Tarzan books and he would always do that where he would have like Tarzan and Jane are walking through like Jane is um lost Tarzan's trying to find her. 
they're walking maybe 50 feet apart in the same jungle. And Tarzan is about to take a a left, but then he's like, you know what? I'm going to take a nap. And then Jane just wanders off and gets even more lost. And you're just like, what the hell? Yeah. Those things stress me out. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's really stressful, but it forces you to keep reading. So these books, these books are really hard to put down because of that reason. It is. It sucks. And I hate any author who does it. And if you're listening, please don't do it. It it gives me heart (laughs) problems, but it's effective. That being said, you're recommending a book that <laughs> I am. It was effective. I read through all the books in in a long in I think a single week or two, but they were how many books excellent. Are, how many books are in the series? Um, I want to say four, but I might okay. be mixing them up with the the series that I want to talk about next week. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm having. I'm learning. I'm having trouble sussing things out when a lot of the things I like are similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. So I have I'm I'm focusing on the books that are the the most different to try to mitigate that, which means I feel like it's going to come to a point where I'm just doing <laughs> virtually the same book over and over again. Could be. For me it's not even that the books I'm talking about are necessarily similar in my mind. It's just that I read them back to back. Like I finish one yeah, series yeah, and I yeah. go to the next one and I forget where one starts and the other stops, but I don't know. Well, I'm really good at sussing out or not. I feel like I use the same words over and over again. I'm really good at finding like motif connections between things that don't actually oh, exist. Oh, sure. Yeah. So often I'll look at a whole bunch of things that most normal person would see that have no relation to one another and be like, oh, they all have this very specific tiny thing. That's why I like them. It's like, no, okay. it's not. You just needed to find a way to connect them all. Nice. Uh, so going back to talking about authors filling out their own universes, maybe uh, your life's work will just be to connect every literary work into a single overarching <laughs> world. That's secretly what this podcast is. It's yeah. me finding the connections for all the books. <laughs> You're just furiously taking notes Ooh. in the background. Ooh, sorry. That just reminded me of a book series I need to do for this <laughs> Great. podcast. <laughs> Great. I don't know how I forgot about that. Um, I guess I can do that one next time. Okay. Ah, jumping ahead of myself. Um, I will say already in this book series, I've, I mean, I started reading, um, London. I'm rereading, the, uh, the book I was going to do for this week. And I've, I'm reading the sequel to, um, the broken earth, which is the, the very first book I mm-hmm. did. So it's already making me read more than I normally would in like a week's time so oh absolutely yeah i've I've started uh i've started a new book that was it was slow getting into it but i'm to the point where i think it might make an appearance on on this show so nice i'm excited about it yeah oh yeah and i'm listening to a stephen king book that i wouldn't have uh that it's definitely going to go on the book i should probably i should probably read stephen king at some point i just i don't i don't want to be scared i want to sleep i want to be able to sleep at night (laughs) gotcha it's hard for me but. Well, yeah, readers, uh, this is, I'm going to do a call to action before we get, I said readers, listeners, um, before we get Hopefully to the Hopefully you're both. Let us know what, uh, yeah, what this has inspired you to read, even if it's not something we have encouraged uh, or specifically mentioned on here. Tell us what you've started reading since you started listening. We didn't do this at the beginning, but I'm Joel Dean and that's Stephen Reese. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the book report and you can you can find us 
at book underscore pod on Twitter or email us at uh, bookreportpod at gmail.com. We I'm glad really we I'm glad we waited to the end to do that. No, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Like 45 that way, minutes. That in. way only <laughs> the three people who stuck it out to the end will actually do anything about it. <laughs> we really need to remember to do that at the beginning. I mean, I like it. It's all right. <laughs> no, all the good stuff happens in the end. I was gonna ask you if you'd seen a TV show recently, so no. Huh. It's good. No, let's let's do the let's do the dust jackets, the the <coughs> book condoms. The book condoms. <laughs> Wrap your okay, books. So, Read yeah. protected. Safe reading. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think of what literary pregnancy practice, would be. practice safe literature. Yeah. I'm just trying to extend the metaphor way too far. <laughs> I'm a brain book. It's a bookworm. You don't want to get bookworms. You don't want to get bookworms. There you go. I like it. God. Man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm disgusted. Wow. When I was a, yeah. When I was a kid, I was like, oh, bookworms are cute. Now I'm like, oh my God, what the hell's a bookworm? Ugh. Where's it squirming <laughs> through? <laughs> Ooh. Wow. All right. I can feel my sore throat getting worse as I'm talking through this. Um, the so, bookworm. uh, the, the, <laughs> <Dang it>. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Okay. The animals books, as I said, they all have the same, that they all start the same. So instead of reading all three dust jackets for all of them, I'm just going to read the ones that are different. So they all have a the thing that's the same on the back of the diversion and the ultimate is the beginning paragraph is we can't tell you who we are or where we live. It's too risky and we've got to be careful, really careful. So we don't trust anyone because if they find us, well, we just won't let them find us. The thing you should know is everyone is in really big trouble. Yeah, even you. So that's the um, the diversion and the ultimate. That's the beginning of their back jacket cover. And then they have a little bit more information. On the front cover, they all have taglines. So the Diversion's tagline is, The war can't go on forever. Will it be us or them? And the ultimate tagline is, Now there are no more secrets. The Absolute cover says, The countdown has begun. And it's the first book in the whole series where the back jacket is different. And it starts out, Here's the deal. These days, they know exactly who we are. They know exactly where we live. We've got a few secrets left, and we're going to use them. But just know that the end is coming, and we don't know how much longer we can do this, how much longer we can fight. What about you? Where will you be when it ends? Think about it. Think hard, because the countdown has already begun. And I literally gave myself goosebumps. <laughs> All right. Joel is awash in nostalgia. I really am. <laughs> Wash nostalgia. All right. And my dusk jacket for The Emperor's Blades by Brian Stavely. The circle is closing. The stakes are high. And old truths will live again. The Emperor has been murdered, leaving the Anurian Empire in turmoil. Now his progeny must bury their grief and prepare to unmask a conspiracy. His son, Valen, training for the Empire's deadliest fighting force, hears the news in Ocean Away. He expected a challenge, but after several accidents and a dying soldier's warning he realizes his life is also in danger yet before valen can take action he must survive the mercenary's brutal final initiation meanwhile the emperor's daughter minister adair hunts her father's murderer in the capital itself court politics can be fatal but she needs justice and caden heir to an empire studies in a remote monastery here the blank god's disciples teach their harsh ways which Caden must master to unlock their ancient powers. When an imperial delegation arrives, 
He's learnt enough to perceive evil intent. But will this keep him alive as long hidden powers make their move? Dum, hmm. dum, dum. I always feel like I should make a sound after I read a dust jacket. Like, dust, like, dum, dum. like closing book, yeah. Charmin. I don't know. <laughs> we should get sponsored by Charmin. Hey, how many people who read don't read on the toilet? Toilet paper would be a great sponsor. I don't read on the toilet. Liar. I don't. I read in bed. I, I watch Hulu on the toilet. You're, you're telling me you've never gotten so into a book that you couldn't put it down while you drop okay, the juice? That has happened, but it's not the, my common reading place. All right. Whatever. That's fine. I'm you're, sorry that you're, you... You're a, you are a better friend of the library than I am, obviously. <laughs> it's, it's definitely happened. Yeah, I just... It's not like I go into the bathroom and like, reading time. See, I read pretty much everywhere. I always wonder like, um, what people are thinking when they're reading through books that I've checked out from the library because I'll like eat while I'm, while I'm reading. And there's mm -hmm. just a lot of books that have just weird splatter marks on them completely accidentally. But there will be like spaghetti on one and then an entire Jackson Pollack on the other. And it's, See, I listen it's to bad. books when I'm walking or running my dog um, <coughs> or driving. I read books pretty much exclusively in bed. Like to go to sleep. Okay. Um, and usually, I don't know why I do that because it never works. And I usually just eventually have to, if I catch myself yawning, I was like, okay, I'll put this book down. But I have to actually put the book down. I've never fallen asleep while reading. Can't do that and get too engrossed in it. Oh, I can't either. I never understood people who could. Yeah. Well, so. what are you going to tell me about next week? I think I'm going, I'm going to try to reread the book I was going to do this week. Um, and if I find a copy and get it done in time, I will do it for next time. Otherwise, I will be doing a modern fantasy. Okay. Um, I will either be doing a fantasy, like a medieval fantasy, or a um, like Civil War fantasy, or a sci-fi fantasy. Oh, One of those so three. We'll see. We know we're getting a fantasy from you. <laughs> You know what? I intentionally kept <laughs> I kept my I kept myself away from it and I feel like I've earned the right to do like you know a month or two's worth of fantasy novels. Okay, okay. I'll give you that. Possibly uh, 3 years worth. <laughs> you can't get annoyed when I dive deep into sci-fi then. I've got a lot to talk about. Okay. Well, um will you read The Animorphs? You know, I'm not sure if I will. Um, okay. And and the only reason is I, I think the fact that you decided to try and talk about three separate books kind of lost me in your explanations. Um, I gotcha. If you would have stuck with one, I may have been more more uh, ready to read read through it. But since you told me to, um, well, since you tried to explain three disparate books, and then you told me that each one is almost three to four hundred pages. It just seems like a lot of work now. Uh, fair. And I don't and I don't have the nostalgia that you do, so I know. I'm not I, I don't and have I, any goosebumps like, or any idea what this is about. It wouldn't reconnect me to my childhood. Fair. Going into it, like I just assumed, and I assume everyone has a cursory knowledge of this, 
I've never heard of anyone who's literally just never seen them either. Yeah. Like nobody in our age group hasn't at least seen these books. I'm like, oh yeah. I no, as those. soon as you Googled it, I, I, or as soon as you mentioned it, I Googled it because I thought you were going to talk about something that was like a knockoff of po- Pokemon. I can't, like, I don't have a frame of reference for someone who had never heard of these growing yeah. up. No, uh, I was just so, thinking, like, I don't know. I just imagined it was like uh, Pokemon, Digimon, and Animorphs. No, that was I mean, that was I, my childhood. But no, I, I had <laughs> built enough. this whole thing around someone who at least had a cursory knowledge of it. So okay. I didn't have... I didn't have anything. I might have to revisit this and give you a more in-depth. I might have to revisit the series later on to try to convince Steven. Uh, we we can but, have an episode that's like a um, a redemption. Yeah. A redemption episode. But, but not like the whole episode, like the first 10 minutes. The redemption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. redemption 10. I mean, there's so Let's much in the series I can too. focus on. I can revisit it all and find one that will definitely hook you because there's plenty of stuff. Okay. But I will also, I think I'll have to give yours a for now no as well. Okay. Mostly because it does sound interesting. Is it because all the it's, characters are Asian? Is this a racist thing? It's definitely a racist thing. No, wow, you can't say that on a podcast. We just <laughs> lost our entire Chinese audience that has been tuning in because we keep talking about Chinese novels. You've said that like three weeks in a row. <laughs> um, I'm telling you. No, it has nothing to do with race. I had not even realized you had said that. I didn't say I, that's oh, why it's okay. funny. Well, I think it would stress me out, A, and I don't like that there's four books right now, and I'm okay. in the middle of too many series. I can't start another one that's going to stress me out. So uh, it sounds like the reason both of us don't want to read the other person's books this week is because we're both tired and lazy. Got it. Yes. I mean, we both picked something with like a lot of backlog to go through. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. Uh, so maybe focus on something more singular maybe we should focus on something standalone and i might be changing what i report on next week then <laughs> okay that's fine next week i'm doing war and peace by leo Tolstoy. yes i've read that and you couldn't force me to read it again <laughs> <laughs> fine i'm doing gone with the wind by margaret what's her name yeah there's a movie i'll just watch that uh but the movie's so much longer than the book it has an intermission <laughs> Uh, but I can Yikes. do that. Yeah, yeah. I don't actually have a good excuse for why movies. Yeah, uh, hot take. Um, at the very end of this episode, movies are or books are not always better than movies. Um, and I think I'm going to leave that there and find an example for next week. If you want to do a standalone where the movie is actually better, that's what I'm going to do. Okay. And still try to convince you to read the book. Okay. That's a weird, weird challenge i've given myself for absolutely no reason oh i can tell you one right off the right off the top of my head the karate kid they made a book after the movie and the movie was way better whatever comes first is better in that scenario that doesn't count Mm, you know what there's a lot of girls who would disagree with you whatever comes first is not necessarily oh my gosh we need to wrap this up (laughs) (laughs) like subscribe share post a comment um uh, tell us what you want to hear about or books that we've made you read and follow us on Twitter at book underscore pod. We'd love to hear from you there. Bye. Was that bye? <laughs> couldn't understand what you said. It was just a loud noise at the end of the episode. Say something yeah, I was more. trying to get people to hang up. No, you just...
they think it's over. Say something inspiring to the audience before we leave them, Stephen. All right. It's only you can prevent forest fires. Okay, no, we're stuck. (laughs) 